I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, where we explore the ways music makes our lives better. My guest today is Dr. Erin Parks, founder and executive director of Lotus Center for Special Music Education, a charitable organization committed to providing access to music education for people with exceptionalities. Erin is also an adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa, teaching courses and mentoring students in special music education. She presents at conferences and guest lectures internationally on teaching music to students with exceptionalities and other issues in music education. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Erin. Thanks, Mindy. I'm really happy to be here. Erin, you founded Lotus Center for Special Music Education in 2012. Tell us about the Lotus Center, what it is, what demographic you serve, and what inspired you to start it over 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So the the inspiration was a combination of a, a number of students with exceptionalities that I'd had over the years. I mean, I've been teaching for 30 years now, and I had had a number of students that were autistic or with Down syndrome that, you know, that were neurodivergent in different ways. And I really enjoyed working with those students, but I it, it wasn't on my radar that adaptive music education or special music education was really a thing. Like I was just, you know, teaching them and doing my best and, and trying to figure it out as I went. Um, but in 2010, I was going to start working on my PhD, still not really, you know, planning to specialize in, in adaptive music education. But just as I was starting my PhD, my oldest son um, was diagnosed with autism. And so, of course, as a parent, you know, researching autism became my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I really saw as both as I was researching autism, the the affinity for music that a lot of autistic people have um, and how it how they respond to music. But also as a parent, I was trying to find activities for my son, you know, martial arts or swimming lessons or soccer or, you know, whatever. And it was just impossible to to find recreational or educational activities that worked for him. And, you know, those those two things and my own experience in teaching with students with exceptionalities all kind of converged to, you know, lead me to thinking there's a need for specialized, like like a center, a school that parents can go to with specialized music education, where they know that the teachers know what they're doing with students with exceptionalities and are passionate about working with these students, and that the parents don't have to, you know, worry about that. But also that there's real value in offering music lessons for this population, not music therapy, which is different and, and very valuable in its own right. But that's that's therapy, right? That's using music to work on non-musical goals. But just to be able to have a recreational or educational activity that is meeting all of their needs. Uh-huh. And so that's where Lotus Center came from. Okay. And just to clarify, your teaching background leading up to your son's diagnosis, was that music education or was it general education? Music education. Music I'm education. a pianist. Okay. So most of my work was was teaching piano, but also teaching kind of group general, you know, early childhood classes. Okay, got it. Tell us about some of the programs that Lotus Center provides. I know it's a nonprofit music school in Ontario, Canada. You provide music instruction 
specifically to students with special needs. Tell us a little bit more about the demographic and what kind of lessons and programs you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially a music school, right? So we have private lessons and a variety of instruments, you know, piano, drums, guitar, ukulele, you know, everything you would expect to see. Um, we have an, an adaptive choir and all of our students have exceptionalities. We also have an after school program that, you know, the same students come every day after school during the school year. Uh, we also have summer camp. So right now we're right in the middle of our nine weeks of, of summer camp mm. and March break camp and all of that. And we really work with, with students of all ages. So we have students as young as two or even, you know, sometimes even younger than two, mm. right up through adulthood. Okay. And we're a little bit different than, um, some specialized services that tend to often be geared towards a very specific part of the disability community, like the autistic community, or, you know, um, we really work with a broad spectrum of students with exceptionalities. So really anybody that feels that they would benefit from an adaptive approach to education is welcome to come. So we also, we don't require a diagnosis. Um, Everybody that comes, you know, has exceptionalities, but, you know, a lot of people are pre-diagnosis or haven't been able to get a diagnosis. And we don't want that to be a barrier that because they, they, they need adaptive services, but they don't have a diagnosis yet. They can't get any services anywhere. So we have a lot of students with fairly high needs, you know, that have um, severe or profound or multiple disabilities. But we also have fairly high functioning students that might have mild learning disabilities or ADHD, but still need some differentiation in their in their approach to learning. Okay. And these lessons and programs, how much of those offerings are available online for listeners who may not be near you geographically? Well, it's shifting a little bit now as we emerge from the pandemic, right? So there was nothing available online before 2020. And then (laughs) in the couple of years after that, you know, everything was online. Our choir was online. We had online camps. So now we're trying to find the middle ground that, you know, exactly as you say, for those that aren't close to us geographically, but don't have anything close to them geographically that they can still access the services but we don't need everything online. So right now what we're offering virtually is really just the um, private music lessons. Okay. Um, so any of the private music lessons in any instrument that we have um, is offered virtually as well as in person at our schools in Ottawa. Got it. One thing that really excited me about Lotus Center is you also have the Institute for Professional Development. And as a piano teacher. I'm also a piano teacher in terms of my background. So it was kind of fun hearing you say that. But I know with uh, within our music teacher community and the local music teacher groups that I'm a part of, this topic has been something that's come up many times. Like we want some training on how to work more effectively with students who have autism or students who have Down syndrome or students who have other disabilities or exceptionalities that make them a little bit different to work with than the average student who comes through our studio doors. So I was really thrilled to see that you have this Institute for Professional Development. Tell us about that. When did you launch it? I think that was more recent. And also what your impetus was for starting that, what programs you offer, all of that. 
Yeah, so it was more recent only because, I mean, it was always a, a, a real passion of mine. And my doctoral research was actually on how to train studio teachers to work with students so with I autism. I saw that. I saw that. I was like, <laughs> ooh, this is really interesting. We should like bring you in virtually to speak to one of our music teacher groups because I know this has been a topic that's come up many times. And it's kind of like, who do we have to speak on it? And there's been a little bit of a floundering of... Uh, Everybody wants this information, but we're not sure who to bring in to speak to it. So that was definitely something that caught my eye. But I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Well, and I'd, I'd love to anytime. But I mean, that's exactly it, right? I mean, we're all going to have students with different exceptionalities and especially autism, given the, the prevalence and their affinity with music. We're all going to have these students come through our doors, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, most of us as teachers, we want to reach these students and provide a great educational experience for them. And the only thing holding us back sometimes is not knowing how to do it. Right. And so, you know, I started Lotus Center in 2012 and just focused for the first number of years on developing the school and the programming and, you know, building the community there, which was a big, you know, undertaking. But the the importance of professional development and teacher training was always very present for me. And we did do workshops in the community, but we finally launched the Virtual Professional Development Institute in 2020. Again, recognizing that, you know, we could reach the, the community that was in Ottawa, but a lot, there are teachers everywhere that don't have access to this training. And especially those of us who are studio teachers, right? Because often we don't have any real pedagogical training. We have intense training on our instrument, mm -hmm. but may not have ever really done, you know, music education courses or things like that, that, yeah. that school teachers would have done. But even those who go on to be, you know, teachers in school and do general education have often very little special yeah, education I was just going to say that as you were talking, like yeah. even those who do have the formal education background and pedigree often don't have much training in this area. Right. And and there's so much to learn, right? I mean, I've spent, you know, much of my career just learning this and I'm still learning every day, right? It's, there's a yeah. lot there. So, yeah. you know, for me too, with, with Lotus Center, I mean, we can only reach so many students within our four walls. Sure. Right. And so the way to really build this up and build capacity and be able to provide this to more students is to train more teachers that can do it. I mean, for every one teacher we train, it could be dozens and dozens of students that are reached, right? So, oh, yes. yeah. So, so for me, really that's expanding your reach by doing that. That's it. Yeah. So, reaching yeah. students both directly through the lessons, but also indirectly through teaching their teachers. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, I mean, our, our mission is to provide access to music education for the disability community, right? And there are many different ways of providing that access. There's us providing lessons. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot more layers to that. And professional development, I think, is a really important piece. Yeah. So tell me some more about the pro professional development opportunities that you provide. I think you have both free options, paid options, you have some certification courses. And I believe all of these are available online. Some of them are asynchronous, where you can view the sessions at your leisure, and some of them are set at specific times. But yeah, tell us some more about those. 
Yeah, it was really important to me to make this as accessible as possible. So, you know, having it all be virtual is is one important part of that. But to have all these different levels or, you know, different ways to engage with it, like not everybody wants to do, you know, a 10-week certification course and might just want a webinar on one particular topic, like, you know, how to use color coding for students with dyslexia or something like that Mm -hmm. if they have a dyslexic student and that's, Uh you know, what they want. And so, so all of the courses in the, in the Institute are designed to hopefully meet the needs of different, you know, educators out there. So we do have a lot of webinars now that we always deliver synchronously. And so, you know, if you join our mailing list or follow us um, on social media, we always post when that's going to be. And we like to do it synchronously because it provides an opportunity for questions and engagement and discussion, which I always really enjoy. Yeah, that probably but- builds more community, I imagine. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, for as again, for studio music teachers, especially, we often don't have much of a network, mm-hmm. right? So to have the opportunity to just bounce ideas off each other is great. Mm-hmm. But we then post the recording. Okay. So that's there all the time. Those are free. Anybody can access them. And then we have paid mini courses. We only have three right now. We have one on um, positive behavior support, another on teaching students with ADHD, and another on sensory challenges. And those are about three hours time commitment. Mm -hmm. And then we have the certification, which is really like, if you want to go out all out and you want to specialize in this, or you really, really want to dig deep, um, that's how you do it. So uh, each level of certification, there are three levels, is about equivalent to a university course. Um, they're 10 weeks. There's a couple hours every week of recorded lectures that you can watch, you know, at your at your leisure. And then we have a one hour discussion group every week as well, where we talk through the ideas. And often that's, you know, where we do a lot of the applied learning because most of the students in the courses are practicing teachers. So they're they're working with these ideas in real time so we can talk through them. Mm. And so at the end of all three levels, you know, you'll really have a very deep knowledge of of how to proceed with students with any exceptionality. I mean, you know, in, in 30 weeks of pretty intensive work, we're able to cover quite a lot. And then one thing that we're working on that we don't have up and running just yet is a resource hub because we hear from a lot of educators that you know they they're hungry for resources and where they can find resources like printables and okay. you know different activities that they can use so we have started the process of compiling all that because okay. You know, in in all the years at Lotus Center, we have a lot of resources yeah. and you know a lot of activities that we do but it's just getting it out there. So that will be coming very soon as well. And that that will be free for teachers to use. Okay, great. And we'll definitely include a link in the show notes um, of to a list of your resources that you currently have. And then whenever you have that online resource library ready to go, just let me know and we'll definitely update those show notes so people have a quick link to, to access that. Okay, great. Someone may have told you that ARP isn't for you, but they were wrong. Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Anyone can create Arts for the Health of It. No talent or experience necessary. This is a quick break to tell you about Song Trust. Did you know there is an estimated $250 million in unclaimed royalties? 
SongTrust is the world's largest royalty collection service. It helps artists know what royalties they're owed and collects them for you so that you, the artist, can focus on creating and producing, not administrating. With SongTrust, you can register your songs quickly in one place. SongTrust will then collect all royalties you're owed from over 50 global pay sources. SongTrust represents over 350,000 songwriters. This includes Grammy winners and brand new up-and-coming songwriters. SongTrust is currently offering Enhanced Life with Music listeners 20% off your registration fee. Just use the code ENHANCELIFE20 at checkout. You can check them out at songtrust.com. While you're there, you'll see another reason I'm a fan. SongTrust is great at explaining the very complicated music publishing world. They offer a ton of free educational resources, including virtual workshops, a blog, and the modern guide to music publishing. Go to songtrust.com and remember to use the code ENHANCELIFE20 to get 20% off your registration fee. I love one of your taglines, which is helping students with exceptionalities reach their full potential through music and community. And my next question, you already answered a little bit when you're talking about your son, but my next question is why music? How is music particularly effective in supporting students with special needs? I know you mentioned that with your son, you noticed that he and other people with his diagnosis had a real affinity for music. And then also music was accessible for him, whereas some of the other extracurricular activities were not so accessible. But how? what are some other ways that you see music being particularly effective in supporting these students? Well, I think there's sort of two main points around that. One is there are real benefits therapeutic benefits, but also just to well-being of participating in music making. And those are well documented in the research and, and both for, you know, students with exceptionalities, but also just for anybody. And then of course, people with exceptionalities should have access to that as well. But, you know, impacts on mood, impacts on reduced anxiety. We see with a lot of our students at Lotus Center that parents will tell us that their motor skills improve more through playing instruments than they ever did through doing occupational therapy. Oh, wow. And it's fun and they're gaining a skill, right? So, sure. um, which, well, and which just makes the sense. idea of going to occupational therapy sounds less desirable and less fun to a kid, I would think, than going and playing the piano or playing some other instrument. Well, exactly, right? Like, I mean, there's so much benefit. And I mean, it makes sense. Of course, if you're playing piano or playing guitar, there's so much dexterity involved. I yeah. mean, we know that, right, as music teachers. So for yeah. students that struggle- actually, I just have to jump in real quick. This is really um, interesting timing. I was just at a neighborhood party last night and was chatting with a neighbor who just moved in a couple doors down from me. He has cerebral palsy and- just started, he knew that I was involved in music and started telling me about how when he was young, his doctor had recommended to his parents that he play the piano just to increase the dexterity and strength and flexibility in his hands and his fingers. And so they got him a piano and he just started playing. He said he would play six hours a day, which blows wow. my mind. But he just absolutely loves it. I mean, now obviously he's an adult. He has a PhD. His day job is not related to music, but he still just loves playing the piano. And a couple of years ago, sort of 
treated himself and bought a Steinway piano. And so he wanted to take me inside and show me. So it was super fun to see his piano and just hear about his experience with it. But that just, I was like, oh, this is interesting timing because tomorrow morning I have this interview <laughs> And so it was really cool to hear his story. But go ahead and continue. Yeah, well, that's a really great example, right? And I'm so glad his, his doctor was so forward thinking in right? that because it's right. still something we're working on, convincing the medical community that there's, okay. you know, this is something they should recommend, and, and there's we're making progress. But it, it you know, of course, it, it makes total sense, right? And we don't need to. Not everything needs to be therapy where we're, you know, really rigorously focusing on that because kids can get therapied out right? Like if that's their whole life. So it's great to have a recreational activity where you're, you are gaining all those skills and things like executive function, focus, attention, like those all improve through music study. But there's also just the piece of like, when we're asking why music, well, because people enjoy music and everybody should have access to it. I mean, music, like, not everybody that I've talked to enjoyed their music lessons, <laughs> for sure. But everybody, I've yet to meet a person that says, I just don't like music. Yeah. And usually when it's somebody that didn't enjoy their music lessons, it's because they didn't jive with their music teacher or the approach wasn't right for them or you know whatever it, it may be. So at Lotus Center and in my own personal teaching, not that I don't have high standards for the students. I, I like when I say that we want them to meet their full potential. I mean it. What is their full potential? We want to bring them there. We don't want to make it simplistic when they can do more. But we also want to recognize that the music making is the most important part, not any sort of arbitrary achievements that we might set out, like they need to reach this level or they need to do exams or they need to, you know, play concerts or whatever. It's just music making. And if we just focus on that and just make it an enjoyable activity that these students can have in their lives, that now they can make music and they can go to that, that's so valuable and adds such quality of life that that's that's really my focus in in any teaching that I do. Yeah. Well, just listening to you answer that question too, I'm just reminded of the fact that music does exercise and engage the entire brain. And you mentioned so many benefits of music that were not just physical, but also mental, emotional, social needs, cognitive abilities, and academic performance, reducing anxiety and stress. I mean, these aren't just related to one aspect of improving our lives, enhancing our lives, bringing students to realizing their full full potential, but it really encompasses or can can encompass all areas of life, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm, For sure. Do you have a favorite story, some example that where you saw music play a significant role in helping a student overcome a particular obstacle or difficulty? Well, I think that, you know, one student that's always really stuck out to me, and she's been with Lotus Center almost since the beginning, but her family is just so lovely. And when they came to us, they were really, really kind of at the end of their rope because this child used to be a really joyful child and just seemed to lose her spark or joy for anything. They couldn't find anything that engaged her. And and she has level three autism and was in a state of pretty high distress almost all the time, like would tear her clothes multiple times a day and really just a lot of would you know hurt herself and really a lot of distress, but but just the sweetest child. 
And they started taking music lessons because they saw that it was something that interested her. And they said right away, it was just like the spark came back, Uh you know, and they couldn't believe that anything could bring the spark back. You know, they, they lost so much hope. Like, and like I said, they're just the sweetest, like it's bringing tears to my eyes now to think about them because they like, they're so lovely and they, they wanted so much for her to be happy, you know, but had just become so kind of, um, dejected by the experiences and for her having her piano lessons and practicing her piano every day became that thing, you know, and it's been yeah about 10 years now that she's been with us and still takes her, her lessons and she has emotional ups and downs, but music is a constant mm. for her, you know? And, and so for me, that's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, that's got to be incredibly gratifying to experience something like that. And especially as parents, you know, any of us who are parents can feel that pit in our stomach just hearing about a situation where the light has kind of gone out and and then feel that uplifting when you hear the story about the parents having hope again mm-hmm. and hearing that light come back. That's It's got to be incredibly meaningful and fulfilling and gratifying to actually experience at firsthand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I'm not their teacher anymore um, just because of timing, but I still talk to the mom regularly and I talk to the daughter on the phone. And I mean, it's just a really, it's really special to have those, those relationships. Mm. I know you've worked with several arts organizations to implement music performance and improvisation for people with exceptionalities. Can you tell us about a couple of the collaborations that you've done? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to do. And it, and it's another piece of just providing access, right? And again, kind of moving beyond our four walls at Lotus Center and getting out in the community um, more. So we work with a few arts organizations in Ottawa very closely and have for a number of years to help them develop adaptive concert series. So we work with the National Arts Centre Orchestra, which is our national orchestra in Canada. And they actually have really committed to this initiative. They didn't have any sort of adaptive or disability programming in their music before we came along, but it already recognized it as a gap, that it was really something they needed to address. And so they reached out to us, yeah, about 11 years ago now. And um, so every year we put on, well, there was a little pause during COVID, but sure. other than that, every year we put on 10 to 12 series of workshops and concerts that are you know, adaptive for the special needs community. And we've also put together a guidebook and a series of instructional videos for other arts organizations that want to implement the Music Circle program as well. Okay, so those events, are they uh, utilize, like um, having some of your students perform in the events or is it more of a sensory sensitive performance for people who are in the audience? It's for the audience. So it's it's orchestra members that are performing. But I've done quite a lot of work on adaptive concerts, um, also in my research at the University of Ottawa. And we're starting to go a little bit beyond sensory-friendly concerts and recognizing that there's a lot more about a concert that can be adapted than the 
the sensory experience, though that is a big piece of it and does need to be adapted. But for example, with the National Arts Center, in addition to the sensory adaptations, we also do uh, a series of two or three workshops leading up to the concert so that the participants can touch and play the instruments. And so they, they have different engagement with it. We show them little videos of the, of the musicians that they're going to see perform or they get to meet them in the workshops. We give PDFs um, with links to other videos they can watch to learn about the composers because a lot of it is newness, right? Anything that is new can be challenging. So also having things like a storybook before the performance of this is what the hall looks like. This is where the washrooms are. This is, you know, here's the etiquette. All of those pieces are, are important. So we do that with the National Arts Center Orchestra. And we also do it with Ottawa Chamber Fest. And then in addition to those two major collaborations where we're actually producing concerts, we also do professional development for arts organization that want to do this. So we've trained um, the musicians at the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. And we also work with Xenia Concerts, which is a fantastic Toronto-based organization that does adaptive concerts. And we um, developed a series of training videos that they show to all their artists. So the artists know how to adapt and what to expect in these concerts. Wow. That's fascinating. So that other, I know you mentioned the sensory aspect, but then that other adaptive concert, almost like an exposure technique that you provide for the the audience and the participants leading up to the event. That's really interesting. I've never heard about that before. Yeah, I don't know that it happens anywhere else, to be honest. Oh, really? It just it seemed like a good idea. So we started doing it and it it's it, I mean, we've been doing it for 10 plus years and it, okay. it seems to be working quite well. Oh, wonderful. Are there any misconceptions or myths about music education for students with exceptionalities that you'd like to address? Yeah, I think that there are myths on kind of both ends of the spectrum. So one myth that I see, and I unfortunately I see it perpetuated sometimes by teachers or or those that work with students with exceptionalities, is this idea of the savant, right? Or even that all autistic students have special abilities okay. or, you know, all autistic students have perfect pitch or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it sets a lot of teachers up for a lot of frustration if they're expecting okay. all of their students um, with exceptionalities to have special abilities. Okay. We do know for sure that, for example, with autistic students, um, you know, in the general population, about one in 10,000 people has perfect pitch or absolute pitch without any training. For people with autism, it's more like one in 20. Oh, wow. Which is incredible, right? Yeah. That's a huge, huge difference. Right. And, you know, so, and I think, you know, at Lotus Center, I think it's much higher than that. It's probably more like one in three and one in four, one in four, because the parents see that their child has special abilities. They're, they're the ones more likely to seek out sure. music lessons, right? But it's certainly not 100% or anywhere close to that. And so that needs to be understood. I think too often I see that, or there's, there are whole, um, you know, pedagogical approaches that are based on the assumption that your student will have perfect pitch. Mm. And then on the other side is students with maybe, you know, severe or profound disabilities, um, especially intellectual disabilities or very profound physical disabilities. And the feeling that they just can't do music lessons, they can only do music therapy or something like that. And I think that 
I think that comes from our view of what is what is a music lesson? What is music education, right? If we're thinking of it as a student sitting at a piano or playing an instrument for 30 minutes, then yeah, that's probably not going to happen. But that doesn't need to be what it is, sure. right? I think that that's where the training comes in, though. It's you know a lot of teachers just don't know what to do with a student that is not going to be in, able to engage in a traditional music lesson. But it's not an unwillingness to try something different. They've just never seen anything other than a traditional music lesson, with maybe some, you know, very basic adaptations. Literally anybody can learn music. I mean, there's we have never had a student come to Lotus Center that we've said, you know what? Nope, not this one. <laughs> they, they can't learn. Everybody can. And again, it's about what is their full potential. It doesn't have to be compared to anybody else. What is it yeah. for them? It, it might be that you know they're just playing a few notes on an instrument, and most of the time they're singing or they're doing percussion or we're using flashcards and they're you know they're pointing to them to identify that they understand. There's all different ways of engaging with music learning, and really anybody can do it. So I think that I see that a lot in teacher groups and things like that online. That that people say, well, that that student just they need music therapy, they can't do music lessons. And that's just not the case. Uh, both those really great points. Thanks for that. If a teacher is listening to this, and they already have a student who has autism or some other learning challenge, are there any basic simple tips that you recommend that they can just start using right away to improve the learning experience? Like if that teacher is listening, and there's just one thing they could take away to practically apply to this lesson this afternoon with that student, what would you recommend? Well, I mean, a, a really broad tip is, is to let go of your idea of what a traditional music lesson should look like and just make music. Mm. Just make music. Don't even worry at first about, I need to teach this student what I know, or I need to teach the student what I think they need to know. Start with just making music, and it can be really simple, playing percussion instruments, doing a call and response kind of game, um, improvising. Im free improv is amazing because anybody could do it, right? I mean, you don't need to have any musical skill whatsoever to do free yeah. improv. And just start there and see what your student responds to and, you know, build off of that. But I know that that's, a, that's kind of a leap, for some teachers, right? And and I think that, you know, especially the improv thing, that I know for me that freaked me out <laughs> when I started doing it because I'm very classically trained. So I get I'm right that. Right there with you. <laughs> yeah. But trust me, like if you can let go of that and, and allow yourself to just play a little bit, like play with music, then you can really reach anybody. And it's also a huge part of rapport building, which is so important with students with exceptionalities who maybe don't have the greatest history of experience in activities like this, right? Yeah. So to have somebody who's just going to meet them where they are and have fun with them and enjoy being with them, just making music, you can have such an impact uh -huh. just doing that. And let the learning happen. And again, I'm not, I don't want to ever say, let go of pedagogical goals or don't worry about learning. I mean, it, 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 there needs to be that. But at first, kind of let the learning happen organically. And then you can start to set goals as you see what your student is capable of. Mm -hmm. But don't start out with set goals and then feel frustrated that they're not meeting them. Mm -hmm. Just play. Mm, love that. 
Well, like I said, we'll definitely have links in the show notes to some of the resources that we already talked about. I know there's a blog on your website that I'll link to also. Are there any other resources that you want listeners to know about that we haven't already discussed, whether it's for educators or parents or students? The blog is another one that is a, a really important resource. But I would also say that, you know, we have Lotus Center resources, obviously, but music educate, there are a lot of great music education resources out there that are already sort of adaptive in nature. And so, you know, one thing that I really love using is body percussion, YouTube videos. And there's one that's uh, Mrs. Morgan that is the YouTube, you know, YouTuber. And they're fantastic because they have visuals like for stomp, there's a picture of a foot or for clap, right. there's a picture of hands. And that visual content is really important for a lot of students with exceptionalities. There's also Prodigy's music that uses color coding in everything that they do. And again, neither of those, as far as I know, are developed as adaptive okay. music education. but they're exactly what we would do in an adaptive setting. So don't feel like it needs to be specialized. Just look, you know, there's a lot out there that really is wonderful um, already as a kind of like a, you know, pseudo adaptive approach. Um, But those are two really great ones that I think are definitely worth checking out. It sounds like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm already intrigued to check them out myself. Thank you. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or story you can share with us today in closing? Yeah, one story that I keep going back to is um, actually it was in connection with the music circle program that we do with the National Arts Center Orchestra. So I have a student uh, named Aiden. He's, oh my gosh, he's 19 or 20 now, but, <laughs> but this was a number of years ago. He was, he was younger and I know I said that not all students have perfect pitch or, or, you know, special abilities, but he does. He's, he's, uh, he's a very, very gifted student and, um, you know, the kind of student that can just sit down and transcribe a symphony kind of thing, like amazing student. But we were at, um, one of the music circle workshops and we had a cellist there from the National Arts Center Orchestra demonstrating the cello and teaching about the cello. And so the piece that he was going to play to kind of demonstrate the cello was the swan from carnival of the animals and aiden who was maybe maybe 10 or 11 years old at the time just said well if you if you're going to play the cello you need the piano part and just got up and started playing it and i mean played it flawlessly and his mom's jaw just dropped because she said this is not i've never heard this piece before like it's not a piece that we've listened to, you know, at home or anything like that. Obviously, he had heard it somewhere and it just stuck in his mind. But what was I mean, I I already knew that he he can kind of do that. Not that it's ever not amazing. It was it's always amazing, but you know. But what was really so special about that particular moment was how he engaged with the cellist. I had never seen him do it with another musician before. To just see him get up there and so naturally fit in with this cellist and play like they had been a duo for years. And and he yeah, just played so beautifully and the cellist was beautiful and everybody's jaws just dropped. And since then, they've gone on to perform this piece a number of times in concerts and at conventions and 
all kinds of things. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty special moment. a little bit of Eden playing the swan with his cellist friend. You can watch the full song on the YouTube video in the show notes. Thank you so much to Erin for joining us today and for all she does to enhance lives with music for students with exceptionalities and their teachers. As always, there are lots of links in the show notes, as well as a transcript of this episode and a list of related episodes you may enjoy, including the Inclusive Sustainable Music Classroom with United Sound, using music and technology to boost skills and learning in students in special education, and several episodes on music's application with autism. Today's show notes can be found at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 164. All Enhanced Life with Music episodes are evergreen. So check out the back catalog for more ways that music can make your life better. As always, you can connect with me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Until next time, may your life be enhanced with music.